Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome back to the Gospel for Life. We're during Advent season, and we uh, have been looking at some of the devotional thoughts from J.C. Ryle, a compilation of some of his writings from the Gospel. And to help in this endeavor, I have around the table uh, Vinny Hinky from Valley Life Community Church. Good morning, Vinny, how are you? Doing very well, my friend. How Thank is you. your Advent season treating you at this point in life? It's just at the right pace. It's not too crazy, not too slow. We're, we're, we're Goldilocks in it right through oh, good, it. Just good, right. Good, good. Just right. <laughs> Great. Ryan Hempel is also with us this morning from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. How are you and how is your Advent season? It's going well. We, um, yeah, same as Vinny, just kind of plugging along. And finally, but not last. Not least. Least, but Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring. Oh, we're doing good too. Um, this will we'll be coming up actually in at church on the third week of Advent. We're right in the middle of the Advent season. Um, it has been a, it's always a special season. I always look forward to this time of year. In one sense, the pace does slow down um, because there is a, a perceptible waiting, which, you know, it's, it's, there's an anticipation that comes with Advent. We're moving toward Christmas, and we all know that, but we're moving at it in this weekly pace that causes us to reflect on the very meaning of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh, there's a waiting in my home for Christmas decorations to go up. We've been a little bit <laughs> sluggish. So we did finally get our tree. Um, yeah. But it's just a tree right now in our living room. No decorations on it. Very natural approach to Advent. There you go. Yeah. yeah, just natural. My mom's mom, so how's my parents grew up? They didn't decorate anything until Christmas Eve. And that was part of their that celebration. Was the tradition. Oh, yeah, they waited. Well make they that. did everything Christmas Eve. So then when you woke up Christmas morning, the whole house had changed. Well, you know, this whole Advent season, the way, um, you know, we often think of it, we notice that it's all done in the secular media when, you know, you wake up, you know, by Christmas evening, they're playing some other music. But traditionally, there was an Advent season, and then there was 12 days after Christmas, uh, you know, there was, was, you know, we think of the 12 days of of Christmas. So the Advent season uh, really doesn't end until sometime in January, January 6th. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we've been getting some help in our Advent preparation by J.C. Ryle, and we've been working through different aspects of a devotional that was compiled of some of his writings. And today we enter into some thoughts that he has on a passage in Matthew, Matthew 25. We're going to read Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. Here's God's word. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wives, wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. 
But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all these virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Ryle comments on this passage. We see in this parable that when Christ returns, true Christians will receive a rich reward for all they have suffered for their master's sake. We are told that when the bridegroom came, those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. Only true Christians will be found ready at the second advent. Washed in the blood of atonement, clothed in Christ's righteousness, renewed by the Spirit, they will meet their Lord with boldness and sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb to go out no more. Surely this is a blessed prospect. They will be with their Lord, with him who loved them and gave himself for them, and with him who bore with them and carried them through their earthly pilgrimage, and with him whom they loved truly and followed faithfully on earth, though with much weakness and many a tear. Surely this is also a blessed prospect. The door will be shut at last, shut on all pain and sorrow, shut on an ill-natured and wicked world, shut on a tempting devil, shut on all doubts and fears, shut never to be opened again. Surely we may again say, this is a blessed prospect. Let us remember these things. They will bear meditation. They are all true. The believer may have much tribulation, but great consolations lie ahead. Heaviness may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The day of Christ's return will surely make amends for all. Let us leave this parable with a settled determination, never to be content with anything short of indwelling grace in our hearts. The lamp in the name of Christian, the profession and the observances of Christianity are well in their way, but they are not the one thing needed. Let us never rest till we know that we have the oil of the Spirit in our hearts. Ryle goes on and says, the parable of the ten virgins contains lessons especially serious in awakening. Let us see what they are. We see that Christ's second coming, whenever it may be, will take people by surprise. This is a truth which is set before us in the parable in a very striking manner. At midnight, when the virgins were slumbering and sleeping, there was a cry, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. It will be just the same when Jesus returns to the world. He will find the vast majority of mankind utterly unbelieving and unprepared. He will find the bulk of his believing people in a sleepy and lazy state of soul. Business will be going on in town and country just as it does now. Politics, trades, farming, buying, selling, pleasure-seeking will be taking up people's attention just as they do now. Rich men will still be doing very well and poor men murmuring and complaining. Churches will still be full of divisions and wrangling about small things, and theological controversies will still be raging. Ministers will still be calling men and women to repent, and congregations still putting off the day of decision. In the midst of all this, the Lord Jesus himself will suddenly appear. In an hour when no one thinks, the startled world will be summoned to break off all its employments and to stand before its lawful king. 
there is something unspeakably awful in the idea. But thus it is written, and thus it shall be. Well might a minister say, We are none of us more than half awake. So in this parable, there's this idea, this concept of being ready. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be ready for the coming of Jesus Christ into this world? Well, Ryle actually has pointed out that you know it has to do with an indwelling grace in our heart. It has to do with the fact that we have the Spirit of God in our heart. If we don't have the Spirit, we're none of His. We we don't even belong to Him. So this is the this is the part that He's getting at. He 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 says, you know, there's there are professions of Christianity. There's observances of Christianity. There's professions of Advent. There's professions of and observances of Christmas. But unless you have the Spirit of God in your heart, unless you know Him, you're not you don't belong to Him. And so that's the that's the first part of being ready is belonging to Him. And Ryle goes on to to talk about this sense that if you are truly ready, if if you are if you belong to Him, as Jonathan was saying, if you're one of those that has been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ and clothed in His righteousness, that we can have a boldness about what awaits. How is it that we can have this boldness, this certain hope, and 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 what is that that is being talked about? I think going off what Jonathan said and also how Ryle points us to having the indwelling Holy Spirit, having that knowledge and right relationship with Christ. We could look at this parable and look at the foolish virgins and think, well, they didn't do certain things that the wise virgins did. And we can put in our minds of a checklist of, well, okay, I need to meet, make sure I'm doing this, this, and this, and this. But God also in his wisdom gives us the teaching in Matthew 7, but then also a little bit later in Matthew 25, about the last day when there will be those that will say concerning Matthew 7, Lord, we did such and such in your name, and we did such and such in your name on the outside that looked like they were ready. And he will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. But then on the flip side in 25, you'll have people that say, when did we see you naked? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you do this? And he's, he'll say, as much as you didn't do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And so there's this two-sided coin of our faith has to be in Christ and his promises. That's where the assurance comes from. It's not on what we've done. But if we're not doing something, that should be a warning sign. <laughs> there should be fruit in our life. But it's not what our dependence is on. It's on his promises, his faithfulness. Yeah, I think the boldness is rooted in in the assurance not of our works that merit the king's right. reception of us, but rather the king's own willingness to receive us. Right. It gives me the boldness to approach him with humility. His promises fulfilled. Yep. Now, I think the, the bulk of this parable, the main thrust of it is about being ready, being prepared. But there is a little a little aspect of it that is about what we're being prepared for mm. that sometimes I think gets lost in the exposition of this. And I, I thought that Ryle did a, a wonderful job in, in bringing out that it, it's the preparation is for the great marriage feast that awaits the people of God, a joy unspeakable. Just give a little bit to the listener about what, what that really involves, what that entails. Why is there so much anticipation for what awaits? I think Ryle did a great job of listing out, you know, first and foremost, we will be with the bridegroom. We'll be with the one that we've been longing for. 
But then also on the flip side, there'll be things shut out that will never encroach again. You know, when we think about the new heavens, the new earth and being with Christ, imagine a world where we will never be tempted ever. Here, there I will thought be you no were, inclination. I thought you were going towards John Lennon there for a moment. But. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. But but, but John Lennon is on to something, isn't he? Yeah, he, no yes. more. In Common Grace, yeah. he writes, imagine. Yes. Because that really is the longing of every human heart that's instilled in them because they're made for fellowship and communion with God. Yeah. In Psalm 46, we're told God is the one who brings an end to war. He makes war cease. He breaks the bow. He breaks the spear. He burns the chariots. And that's something that's looking towards that great day when all conflict, everything, his peace will reign supreme, the new heavens, the new earth. And it's God who's the one who will destroy all those things. So all that, but even beyond that, just the inclination of our hearts will never again be to rebel. And I think that's a wonderful thing he brings out here. Yeah, and, and you know, Ecclesiastes brings out the fact that he has put eternity in our hearts. There is this longing for what uh, is pictured here, and uh, and so um, you know we can't really describe it. You know, we we say imagine, but uh, the whole point of what is promised is eye has not seen nor ear heard what God has prepared for those that mm. love Him. Mm. Been working through um, Paul David Tripp's book, Do You Believe? We did that in, in the radio program, but we've been working through it in an adult Sunday school class. And this last week, we were dealing with the perseverance of the saints and future glorification of the saints. And there was a line in David Tripp's book about imagining a life without sin. And I read that and I, I thought, I can't. Hmm. I, I, I just have, have no no category for that in my mind trying to think not, of a world not where on there's a personal no, level yeah, exactly. i mean yeah not on a personal christ without sin i i i count on yes. and i rest in but on a personal level i can't imagine it but that is what awaits the child of god that they can be in a world without sin mm-hmm. well that's all the time we have for today we will see you next time